Thank you for choosing to come tonight. Um, I, always, I always acknowledge you showing up um, because, uh, not because one of you is more desired or better or anything like that, but because sometimes I feel like we just need to be acknowledged for showing up. I think some of us would uh, have better days and be better people if someone was like, hey, thanks for getting out of bed this morning. <laughs> you know? So uh, I, I, I genuinely really do want to acknowledge, I understand that you have baskets of laundry at home, that you have um, unfinished discussions with certain people in your lives. Um, I know that you have to-do lists that are miles long, but you've chosen to stop and invest in your spiritual life, and, and I think that that deserves some recognition. Um, and I want you to know that God is going to honor that. He's going, he is glorified in that, and so therefore he is going to honor that. And so thank you for, for showing up. So um, welcome to It Takes a Village. Um, we'll be discussing Senator Hillary Clinton's novel, It Takes a Village, tonight. So if you'll grab that, and I'm sorry, that's my last political joke of the evening. Maybe. Um, no. So we, we are at It Takes a Village, and this actually, um, it stems from the African proverb of it takes a village to raise a child. Now, before those of you who are single or childless or the proud owner of an empty nest zone out, this is not about parenting. And trust me, you do not want me to talk to you about parenting. Um, instead, this sentiment focuses on the concept of needing a village or a community around you just to do life. Uh, this is a design by our creator God. It's not a design flaw, it's a design. We were created for community. So this evening, we're going to look at why we need community, what Christ-centered community looks like, and then some obstacles that we find in this community. Um, so having gotten the opportunity to spend some time in different African villages, I've, I've witten, witnessed the origin of this phrase. Um, in many African cultures, this mindset of community far exceeds child rearing. I mean, it is just they are in each other's lives. They genuinely weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, they are just so in tune with each other's lives. But in particularly, when a child is born, and, and these tribes will vow to positively participate in the upbringing of this child. And you see this a lot when you're in villages and you just got kids running around and you know, parents are just smacking each other, you know, the kids on the back of the head just as needed. It's not even their kid, they're just like, you're being an idiot. And so they, they're helping each other out. Um, they're uh, you know, kissing boo-boos of kids that aren't theirs. I, I was once talking to this woman and this baby is like crying and just walking around and stuff. And this woman was like, hang on. She just picks him up and starts breastfeeding. I'm like, is that your kid? Nah, his mom's getting water somewhere. And I'm like, that's community, you know? <laughs> Now, in, in Fort Worth, we're not physically or culturally really set up to breastfeed each other's children. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Um, but we, we, are, we are created for that kind of intimate community. We, we were created that way. Um, our country's worldview, however, encourages the self-made man or woman. It, we are encouraged to be independent. And don't get me wrong, I can get down on some Beyonce. I am an independent woman. Get your hands up. 
But my independence only goes so far before I need a little help from my friends. Thank you, John Lennon. So <laughs> we, we are encouraged constantly, and everything in the world is constantly telling us that we need to do it on our own right? That we are an island. One of the biggest lies we experience as men and women is that we were made to do it our own. However, after salvation in Christ, God gifts us community, a village, his church. It's a gift, and it is for our benefit and ultimately for his glory. We were made for community because we were made in the likeness of God. God himself is a communal God. He exists in three forms, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and he communes with himself, which is so so strange. It's such a big concept to wrap your mind around, and at the end of the day, we still don't get it, and that is what makes God, God. Because as soon as you can can reduce God to something that you understand, then he can be controlled and he's not God, right? But he is big and he is in three parts. He communes with himself. In the beginning, it it says that God created us in his likeness. So therefore, when he created man, he said it's not good for man to be alone. And he created woman. So we see that we were created for community from the beginning. Then we look at the life of Christ. He is constantly surrounded by 12 men, constantly. And then from that 12, he has his inner circle. If community is, is good enough for the savior, then how come we run from it so much? We were made for community and we see this. Also, he commands before he ascends into heaven to love one another and to go and make more disciples, go and make more community, Christ-centered community. The church in Romans is described as the body of Christ with many functioning members all working together. Even the imagery of heaven is communal. It's described as a wedding and a banquet Ecclesiastes tells us that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. We are strengthened by community. Proverbs 27 tells us that like iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Therefore, we we grow and are formed through community. Ephesians 4 tells us that the church is for bringing honor to God as we build one another up. God created community and intends for us to thrive in it, not just for our benefit, but ultimately for his glory. So many of us, as as I say community over and over, and if you're tired of it now, sorry, it's gonna come a lot tonight, Um, but we've been kind of flipping through this mental Rolodex and identifying our villages. Like, who are my people, right? Um, we, We all surround ourselves with someone. We all have a community, whether we feel like we've chosen it or not, we, we all have this. So this evening, I want us to look specifically at an example of Christ-centered community. Because it, in these villages that we find ourselves, not, not always is it Christ-centered. And so we're gonna look at an example of this. And as we do, I want you to really assess your village 
the village with which you've chosen to exist and the one to which God is actually calling you to be a part of. So we're, we're gonna turn in scripture. So if you have your Bible, that's great. If you don't, there might be one under your seat, but we also um, have scripture on the screen as well. So whatever is good for you or your device or whatever. But we're going to turn to Acts and we'll be in chapter two, starting in verse 42. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Acts, but I think there may be one or two sermons online about Acts. <laughs> if you're new, uh, we've been in, in Acts for like eight years now, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we, we just finished last, uh, last Sunday, we finished uh, an awesome series called The Unstoppable Church, which is all available online. Um, so we are, we're going to be in Acts 2. Uh, and this is one of the best places to start when you're talking about community. It's um, the actual first gathering of believers in Christ. So at the beginning of this chapter, you have the Holy Spirit descending on the believers of Christianity, of the way, as it was called, these believers in Jesus. And this is a huge part of the foundation of our faith. Until this point, God's people had the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, they had oral traditions, and then they had the law of Moses. And this is, this is how they connected to God. This is how they um, like rectified their relationship between themselves and God. But the bad news is, is that they could never be good enough. There, there was always constantly sacrifices and, and different things because they couldn't get it together enough to actually completely reconcile their relationship with God. And then Jesus comes and he fulfills the whole entire law, and now they are free from it. And then on top of that, now he is sending his Holy Spirit to be with them. So not only has he saved them, but now he is remaining with them. And so um, the Holy Spirit falls, and there is laughter, and there is crying, and there is the gospel being proclaimed in, in everyone's own language. I mean, and it's just like this, it looks almost like a chaotic scene. In fact, um, in the beginning of the chapter, onlookers are, think everybody's drunk. And my favorite part is when Peter goes, no, it's 9 a.m., you know, like they're not drunk. And so they, there's just, it's just this scene where the Holy Spirit has just overcome everyone. Then Peter talks to the onlookers and proclaims the gospel to them. And, and everyone is, is believing and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so starting in verse 42, we see the response of the believers to the Holy Spirit coming over them. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here we see this beautiful description of genuine Christ-centered community, starting first with devotion. So um, I'm a millennial. I can't change it, so I embrace it. Um, my generation exhausts most of you who are not a part of it. <laughs> but contrary to popular belief, we do contribute to society. 
One way I think in general, so millennials, chill out. In general, um, where I feel like we lack a lot is, is passion void of devotion. Uh, when I was in college, I got to attend a passion conference, which if you're not familiar, is like this big gathering of college students from all over the country and we get together and um, there's like awesome worship and speakers and all kinds of stuff. And um, I, I got to go one year that it was in Texas and there was um, this, uh, the author of Crazy Love's name is Francis Chan. And that was like a super popular book that year and he was coming to speak. And so he gets out on stage and like the room is just buzzing with energy because it's college students, you know, like what else do they have going on? <laughs> just kidding. Um, so they, they, you know, everybody is just so pumped and so excited. And he, he gets out on the stage and he's like, okay, I know this sounds crazy, but let's just go with it. We just feel like the Lord is moving and we feel like we, we really just need to go and share the gospel in Thailand. In fact, we've, we've made contact with one of our missionaries there and um, we have 15 spots. We've reserved a plane. We've got 15 spots. All we need is just for 15 of you guys to commit right now. And the room's like, yeah, I'm going to Thailand. You know, like me and like people are like running down the aisles and like all this kind of stuff. And then in this abrupt change of tone, he's like, then why are you sharing the gospel with the person next to you in chemistry class? And then the whole room just goes silence. And, and everyone is just like, and then everybody just sits down and nobody's making eye contact with anyone. Because in a moment, he nailed our generation. We have passion and desire, especially in the moment. But we struggle with devotion and commitment, especially in what seems to be the mundane. Every single person in that room was ready to board a plane, to fly to Thailand, to share the gospel, but not not many of them was taking the time to do it in their classes, in their dorm rooms. Now, I'm picking on millennials, but this is a human problem. Devotion is an enthusiastic loyalty, not an obligatory showing up or lip service. And it says they devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. The underlying theme here is that they did it when it wasn't easy. They did it when it wasn't sexy or fit into their schedules. They devoted themselves. There's commitment there. Christ-centered community starts with devotion. Devotion first to the Father and then to his people. So continue on in, in verse 42. It starts first with devotion to teaching and fellowship. So devotion to the apostles' teaching is the true value of, of the word and the corporate study of it. There is a need for individual and personal study for the scripture, absolutely. But in its origin and even in its nature, scripture is very corporate. Uh, in fact, the only way of reading it in Jesus's time and still in a lot of parts of the world actually is to read it corporately together. Um, when we study his word and we worship as a body, we sharpen one another. Like that scripture of iron sharpens iron. We sharpen and encourage one another and support one another in a Christ-centered way. The word of God is living and breathing 
and therefore it is always active in our lives. We see so much more when we study it together as different souls operating under the same spirit. So in my village, I have the honor of many irons, and some are even in this room. They sharpen me with their devotion to the scriptures. When I'm struggling or stumbling, they encourage me, they instruct me, and at times they rebuke me, but not from their own opinions or standards, but through the word of God. This does so much for my personal growth as well as my relational growth when I am mutually devoting myself to teachings with my community. They also devoted themselves to fellowship. Uh, Devotion to fellowship is a call to experience life with one another. If you grew up in a Baptist church, you may have had a fellowship hall if you've had a fellowship hall. Um, I remember loving the fellowship hall because <laughs> mostly that's where the food was. <laughs> uh, we would eat dinner there every Wednesday before going to GAs. Um, we had baby showers there and wedding receptions and even some really awesome talent shows. Life happens in the fellowship hall. Now, don't get me wrong. I love fellowship halls and they're meaningful and they're purposeful but I believe the fellowship here extends beyond the campus, beyond the confines of these walls and and into people's homes and lives. Fellowship is getting into each other's homes, gathering consistently, checking in often, knowing, really knowing one another. Genuine fellowship is letting people into your home when it is a wreck. Yeah, I know, (laughs) I know. Genuine fellowship is sharing the ugly parts of your life, not just the Instagram shots. Christ-centered fellowship is weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice no matter where you are on that spectrum. We find it easy to weep with those who weep when we ourselves are weeping. We find it easy to rejoice with those who rejoice when we ourselves are rejoicing. But what happens when we are weeping and our brother is rejoicing? It doesn't say to weep when it's convenient or rejoice when it's convenient. It says if your sister is rejoicing, rejoice with her even if your heart is breaking and she will do the same for you. That is what Christ-centered fellowship looks like. Then it says that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now as Baptists, we nail this one. (laughs) Clearly, there's Chicken Express in the back. (laughs) My entire life growing up and even now, all gatherings have centered around food and drink. Um, Someone has a baby, you bring a meal. Someone has surgery, you bring a meal. Someone dies, you bring a meal. Wanna share something with someone? Invite them out to dinner. Want to call someone out on their sin? Have coffee, it's a faster getaway. <laughs> now, my, my grandma passed away this last week and my mom had surgery, so I've been gaining an inner tube of love <laughs> from my Baptist brothers and sisters. But there is something intimate and meaningful about experiencing a meal with another person or group of people. It drops your guard, at least slightly. 
God intentionally inspires the mention of breaking of bread in this passage because clearly he sees it of value. Because consider the Last Supper. He spends the last few hours with his disciples sharing a meal with them. Breaking bread is a huge part of godly community. It shows the other person or people that you want to partake in something that is delightful to the tongue, to the stomach, and necessary for sustaining life. Breaking bread with one another creates a place of safety and provision that yields Christ-centered community. And then finally, there's a devotion to prayer. When God's people gather together in prayer, God is among them. When his people pray, they are summoning the creator of the universe who desires to give good gifts to his children. When his people pray, God answers. Not always with our answers, but God answers. God is ready and willing, just so often we are not expectant. I've been guilty often of saying, well, the only thing I can do is pray in a tone that suggests that that it's a lower calling. But prayer is not the lower calling, it is the calling. Paul tells us in Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. Oswald Chambers says that living one day on a single prayer is as foolish as living one day on a single breath. We are to devote ourselves to prayer. The girls in my community group and I have this long text thread And I know I hate text threads too, but let me tell you, I love this one. We are constantly beckoning one another for prayer. In fact, today we were were sharing prayer requests. Um, We have shared the loss of loved ones, sickness, job situations, school struggles, marriage issues, and I have no doubt in my mind that when I send that request, I'm being lifted up to the Father by multiple women because they have devoted themselves to prayer. Corporate prayer is such a blessing because there are seasons and moments when you just simply don't have the words or even the strength. And during those times, it is such a blessing to know that I have these women standing in the gap for me, carrying me to the cross when I cannot carry myself. So here we see the devotion to teaching to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And this is Christ-centered, godly community. This is what your village should look like. Now, it's not perfect. Don't get me wrong. The the community I have, the village that I have is not perfect. There there are problems, there are issues. Um, We are all messed up. It's not perfect, but it is Christ-centered. Therefore, it is life-giving. Christ-centered community is God-honoring. Because of this, we must be aware of the enemy's presence. Satan hates godly community. And ultimately, he seeks to destroy it. And he does this in a myriad of ways. He does this through isolation, through comparison, and through excuses. And he accomplishes these things through lies. He desires for disunity among believers and starts by disrupting community with lies of loneliness and isolation. My mom told me that after her divorce, the loneliest place on earth was church. 
She said Satan would just sit next to her, breathing lies into her soul that everyone else has it together, except for her. Lies that made her believe that no one else doubted or struggled or even wavered in the slightest. And this simply is not true. In fact, one of our greatest uniting factors is that we are all so messed up that we need a savior. We are not created to operate in isolation. We were created for community. Therefore, we should struggle in community as well, that we may shoulder these burdens with one another as we carry them together to the cross. You are not alone. Satan also lies to us through the sin of comparison. You know, her husband loves, loves her more than mine loves me. Or she, she has a husband and I never will. I'll never find anyone. Or her kids are perfect. Her skin is so clear. She's beautiful even when she's sweaty at the gym. Or, whoo, she has not aged well. <laughs> now, these are our common thoughts. Do not lie. As we scroll through Instagram and, and Snapchat and Facebook or whatever, because, or even just when we are walking by people in Walmart, <laughs> um, we compare ourselves. Um, I, I think that is a very common thing, especially among women. We are coveting or shaming based on small one second posed views of someone else's chosen reality. Instagram is not indicative of someone's heart or actual reality. Now it's not evil, I'm not telling everybody to go home and delete their Instagram, but Satan's goal is to turn all things into lies. So this comparison can greatly affect our villages. We must proceed with caution and with a perspective bigger than the square box of perfection on your screen. You are not the perfect mom. You are not the perfect wife. You will never find the perfect man and you will never be the most successful. I tell you this not to lower your standards or your self-esteem, but to free you to walk in the freedom of Christ. He is perfect on your behalf. When we stop comparing ourselves to the holiness of others and start comparing ourselves to the holiness of God, we will always fall short and rely on him for our perfection. This takes the burden of comparison off of our community. And as I mentioned earlier, there are a list of things that could have potentially kept us from showing up tonight. Laundry, marital issues, financial issues, anxiety, depression, loneliness. We all have needs and struggles, which is why a village, a community is such a gift. And then finally, Satan attacks our villages through excuses. He lies to us and makes us believe that we don't need church. We don't need fellowship and community and that it, or that it's just merely something to check off of the list. Our schedules are too full to devote ourselves to anything else. Hebrews 10 Verses 24 and 25 say, 
And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'm sure many of us can recall a time when we reluctantly went to church. However, we left feeling renewed and encouraged in spite of ourselves. Now, I've often heard people say that you can be a Christian and and not attend church. And my answer would be, okay, but why? Our society equates busy schedules with fullness of life. Therefore, most of us in this room are very busy. Now, I'm not trying to shame anyone here for being busy. I get it. I work part-time this year and haven't had a moment to sit down yet. Um, I get it, believe me. Um, But something I've learned, especially through this summer, is that there are things more important than tasks and some of my secular commitments. Uh, Almost daily, my four-year-old Emma will walk up to me and say, I wanna tuggle, tuggle instead of snuggle. (laughs) Gets me every time. And it's always in the middle of me doing something, always. And so I'm like, oh, I'll tuggle with you later, you know, and and then I keep, you know, doing what I need to do. And God began to convict me of this kind of towards the beginning of this summer. And I got to where when she would come and say, I want to tuggle, I would just stop and we'd go tuggle. And let me tell you, the task got done later, or get this ladies, it didn't get done at all. (laughs) And the sun still set and rose the next day. And I guarantee you, I will not regret one of those tuggles. In the same way, God is beckoning us to himself and to his body of believers. Sometimes this means putting excuses aside and just devoting yourself to what matters. I'm not sure what that looks like for you, but I challenge you to spend some time thinking of ways that you've made excuses for avoiding or just limiting your community. Is it because you know that with community comes accountability? Is it because with community comes a little bit of a loss of control? Is it because with community comes sacrifice? At the end of chapter two, we see that when the church devotes themselves to Christ-centered community, God shows up. He performs signs and wonders and adds to their numbers daily. And it says that they had all things in common, which is Christ. Our belief in salvation unites us. We are all in need of a savior and Jesus has saved us all and therefore we have all things in common. The Holy Spirit helps us to overcome our biases and look past the person to the Spirit. And in this is Christ-centered fellowship, a Christ-centered village. So I want you to take a moment in light of what we just read and I want you to picture your village or your community or I call them my people. Who do you fellowship with? With whom do you break bread? Who do you call when joy or despair strike? We all surround ourselves with someone, but the company we keep is often very telling of the status of our hearts. If we aren't devoting ourselves 
with our community to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the prayers, then we've missed the community for which we were created. The body of Christ is for our benefit, not for our hindrance. We were created for community, and it truly does take a village, and this is a gift, a good gift from our Father. The mission of our church here at Solid Rock is to gather together in worship, grow together in community, and live the mission. We believe that these are equally key aspects of your spiritual walk. And that's one reason why we challenge every member to get involved into a community group. And as I'm saying this, some of you are breathing in breaths of tension. Let it go. You were made for community. Embrace it. God wants you to be in community. And at Solid Rock, we want to help you find that. This year we'll be having, um, from our community groups, we're going to have gender-based Bible studies that that break out of that. Um, Our women's ministry is going to look different this year. Instead of meeting um, the third Wednesday of every month like we have been, we will do events like tonight um, at uh, different points during the year. And instead, we want to push everyone towards community groups. And the reason for this is because this is where growth happens. When you get into each other's lives and you devote yourself to the teaching, to the breaking of bread, the fellowship, and the prayers. And so we, we want you to be involved in this community that you may grow closer to your creator and closer to your sisters and your brothers in Christ because that is where growth happens. That is where we get to see glimpses of what heaven will be like because we were created for community. We also have a, a new group that's coming up. That's her, that's her signal. Um, that Shelby Lowry is going to um, is gonna share a little bit about um, for our moms. I think you... Hello. Hi. Okay. My name's Shelby Lowry. I'm fairly new to the church. I've been here about a year and a half, I guess. Um, and Allie, I've loved what you've said because it's totally affirming everything that God's been doing in my heart personally. Um, but just to be very transparent with you, I have two minutes, so I'm going to talk fast. Um, <laughs> I have a friend that's in the hospital, and I have a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and we walked through the parking lot, and we walked up to her hospital room, which was on the seventh floor, walked all around where all the sick people are, and then I turn around, and her shoe is in her mouth. (laughs) I was like, you know, I'm all about that natural parenting. Um, So what the Lord has really been doing in my heart is really showing me that there is a loneliness among women, especially women who are home during the day, younger moms, any mom, we all struggle with being lonely. But what um, I really felt that we needed was a place to come together as women. It's not to take 
place of a community group. It's supposed to complement what we're doing in the community, specifically for moms or stay-at-home moms. Um, there's going to be a lot more to come in September as far as what that is going to look like, but we're going to meet in homes. We're going to go out. We're going to do some missional things. Um, but the goal is to come together and grow in Christ and open up to one another because we need that, especially if we're at home all day and my two-year-old who... I adore, she has a great vocabulary, but she's looking at her baby, and she'll say, my baby, blah, 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 blah. And I say, okay, yeah? What, how does she feel about that? She's sad. How do you feel? Sad. That's like the depth of my conversation some days, and I'm sure some of you can relate to that. So if you're interested in coming together with other women who are yearning and wanting those types of relationships, please, I have a sign-up sheet at my table over here, and I would love to have you a part of that because we're not meant to do this alone. I'm a military wife. I've moved from Texas to Virginia, which felt like a foreign land. Um, I have a Virginia friend here. Bless her. She's now in the great state of Texas. Um, but now I'm back, and I had to start over each time. And it's lonely, and it can, the enemy speaks lies into our minds, and I just want you to know you're not alone, and there's a place for you to come together. So if that speaks to you, please come, and I'd love to meet you. I don't know a lot of you. So that's what we're doing. It's going to be called Solid Rock Moms. Sounds cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you, Shelby. All right, so um, as, we, as we close out this evening, Jen's going to come back up, and she's going to lead us in one more song. I don't know what that was. Um, and um, during this time, I want you to feel the freedom to uh, do whatever you need to do as far as, um, you know, if, if you need to think or write or read or sing or pray or stand or sit or kneel, whatever you need to do. But I do want you to, um, to take some time and, and really think about your village and assess what that looks like. Uh, what, where is God calling you? What, what are some things that he's challenging you to do? Um, how can you truly and genuinely devote yourself to this idea of Christ-centered community for the glory of God. Um, so I'm gonna close out in prayer and then, um, then we'll, we will sing. Dear God, thank you uh, so much for this time together and um, for the way that you have purposefully placed people in our lives for, for different seasons and for different reasons. And God, I, I pray that you would um, be with us as we, as we just take time to thank you for the people who are in our lives. God, as we take time to be challenged and convicted about ways that we need to devote ourselves more completely. As we consider the people in our lives that we need to love well. Um, God, I just thank you that we are not created to do this alone and that you have provided people for us to do this life with. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for everything that you have done and for being so faithful to meet with us. Just be honored and glorified in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.